Right on. I'll take verse 16. Here we go. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the, and the end everlasting life altogether. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we invite you to meet with us this morning and uh, just pray for open hearts to receive your word, Lord. Um, that we would be ready to hear what you would say. Would you anoint Pastor Brandon as he brings the word? Would you set him aside? And I pray uh, that your word would go forth in power, that it would convict our hearts, that we would be transformed for your glory. Have your way this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Am I good over here? Game time. All right. Hey, everybody. It's dreary outside. And y'all are kind of making it dreary in here. So, we need to be awake, don't we? We need to focus, okay? Um, man, it's been, it has been an awesome Sunday. Uh, this, this morning's message with Pastor Sam was very sobering, okay? Uh, perfect for a dark and rainy day, all right? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that God is teaching us, and we need to be ready to, to hear from Him today. So let's prepare our hearts. Real quick, we're going to review Okay, so uh, have your finger remaining in Romans uh, chapter 6 for just a moment so you can keep an eye while we talk. In Romans chapter 6, uh, we look at this idea of yielding ourselves. Okay? Uh, and yielding meaning turning away from one thing to focus on another, right? And we're constantly yielding, aren't we? Right? Um, we, we yield uh, in order to, to take a, a pause and consider which way it is that we would go. We do this in life where anytime we make a decision about what it is that we're going to do, and we, and we make definite decisions, uh, we end up yielding. I mean, you can't do everything, can you? you there's, there's times in your life where you have to decide, I'm putting away this thing, and I'm focusing on that thing. Uh, you probably did that when you declared a major, didn't you? Has anybody ever switched majors? Yeah? It happens all the time, doesn't it? Right? Where you're focusing on one area... All right? you, had to, you had to say, I'm not doing these things, but I'm going to focus on this thing. But then when we switch, we say, okay, I'm no longer am I focusing on this thing. I'm yielding to this thing. And we, we did that the day that we decided to follow Jesus Christ. We, we made a decision that we are no longer going to yield to the world. We are no longer going to follow in that pursuit. We are going to put that thing away and yield ourselves, obedient to Jesus Christ, to pursue after him. And what Paul's talking about here in chapter 6 is he's talking about this idea that you have the ability as a Christian, someone who's already determined in your heart that you're going to follow Jesus Christ, 
You are dead to your sin. You've yielded towards the Lord. You have the ability sometimes to, again, go back and yield to the old man. Can you imagine after you've already decided that you're going to change majors? Maybe you were a music major and then you decided to focus on, on, on uh, the medical field. Like, didn't, isn't that what Connor did? Okay. Uh, and, and so can you imagine if one day uh, she's halfway through the semester and she just goes and, and goes back to music classes unexpectedly and sits down with the orchestra and says and, and just pretends like she's... That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Right? And she'd be missing out on what it meant to be in the medical field and, and to pursue the major that she's decided to yield herself to. But yet we do this in our, in our faith all the time, right? We wake up in the morning, maybe we're in bad spirits, uh, maybe we're not focused, uh, maybe something sets us off or our attention gets uh, uh, misguided. And we find ourselves once again yielding to our carnal man and living as though we're unrighteous when Jesus Christ has made us righteous. We do that. And it's a shame. But the question is, how do we find ourselves yielding to Jesus? How do we find ourselves consistently yielding to the one that we chose to serve? That we don't get confused in terms of our identity. So we don't find ourselves identifying with the old man anymore. How do we do that? Well, first of all, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love not... Uh, love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And what this passage teaches us, that the old things, we actually have to despise those things. The things that imprisoned us before, the things that were bondage to us before, those things, we're dead to those things, and we have to look back on that old life and that old carnal man and say, no, I don't just want to follow after that. I hate that. I hate the old man. That's not who I am. That's not who I'm called to be. And that has to be the declaration of our lives. We need to love not the world and the pursuits of old. The other thing that we need to know is that we need to be in pursuit of the Lord. We need to be in pursuit of his word. How is it that you can yield to God? How is it that you can be obedient to God? But not take in his very words. What is it that you obey? If you don't hear the words of Christ and you don't hear the commands of Christ, what is there to obey? And so we have to be pouring into our lives the commands of Jesus Christ. The the word of God has to be a a crucial part of who we are. John chapter 1 verse 1. Many of you guys have been studying uh, John in your your small groups. Raise your hand if you've already started John. Some of you might already be through chapter 1, yeah? And, and so what we recognize at the very beginning of John chapter 1 is that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, to follow Jesus Christ is to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He is the living and incarnate words of God. And to pursue Jesus is to follow after his words. And if you aren't making a habit and, and making a discipline of studying God's Word, then there's no possible way that you can obey it's really, it's really funny uh, when some, you know, at, at work or at home, maybe as a child, you recognize this, when your parents would say, why didn't you get this thing done? Well, you never told me to do that. No, like, yes, I did. I remember telling you. No, you never did. Or, or at work, you know, there, there's some sort of expectation, but that actually information was never handed down, and then you look like an idiot because they remember telling you. And How are you supposed to do something that was never brought to your attention? 
How is it that you think you're going to follow Jesus Christ with your life if you're not looking into his face and hearing his very words? How is it that you're supposed to yield to the man of God? If you're not making the discipline of studying God's word and the meditation of his word the very center of your life, to obey God is to obey his word because, well, he is the word. He is the word. And today as we move into chapter 7, we're going to continue to look at Paul's argument uh, uh, persuading us against the lifestyle of sin and looking towards holiness and learning what it means to be dead to the old man and alive to Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do this morning. So I hope that that excites you. Because some of you all need to give yourself a nice little slap in the face, get the cheeks rosy. I used to make the high school students, when they were like this, like you guys are right now, stand up and do breathing exercises. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. Okay, but let's just decide with our decider that we're going to pay attention. So Romans chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to pray again real quick, and then we're going to get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we thank you that we were, that we were um, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And um, that, Lord, that Jesus Christ, he set us free from the old man. That I don't have to be the Brandon that I was before. I don't have to, I don't have to dwell on um, the enticements of the world. I don't have to sit and think to myself while I'm driving how great it would be uh, to pursue worldly things. Because I'm set free from that. I don't need to be that. Because you've called me to something so much greater. And to a purpose so much greater. And you've made me clean. You've made me right in your eyes. I don't have to earn your favor. I don't have to do anything uh, to, to make you love me. Lord, you just love me. And so God, I'm so thankful this morning. And I pray that as we look at your word today, we would be empowered to follow you. That we would be uh, full of faith. Because of what your word says. And God, we would be that much more uh, devoted to putting away who we were. And looking forward uh, to, to our righteousness and the future that we have in you. Lord, help us this morning. In your son's name. Amen. Okay, so what we get here in Romans chapter 7 is Paul uses an illustration of marriage. Okay? And the covenant of a marriage relationship. To display for us and illustrate for us what it means... To come into relationship with Jesus Christ and be dependent on that relationship. So let's start with verse 1. Can we do that? Okay, verse 1. Know ye not. There's that, that's that, there's that phrase again that keeps popping up. And it needs to catch our attention, right? Know ye not, brethren. For I speak to them that know the law. Okay, so he's speaking to the Jews, the ones who are familiar with the law. How that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is... Now, right now, he's starting to, to lay out this picture for us, okay? And what we're going to see here is a marriage relationship, a man and a woman, okay? For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband. Okay, now this husband here is a picture of the law, all right? And we're going to talk more about that here in a second. It's a picture of the law. So as long as he liveth. So as long as the, this husband is alive and they are bound to each other, each other, the husband and the wife have a covenant relationship. They're married to one another. 
As long as that husband lives, she's bound to him in that covenant relationship, right? So, uh, but if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now here's what this is telling us. Is that this husband that this woman is married to, this woman is up, this husband that she's married to is the law. The law of the Old Testament. Okay? And the law is basically defined this way. It's the old rules that, that the Jews had to, uh, to uh, subscribe to, the code and the laws, the Levitical law, the Mosaic law, that the Jews had to live in in order to be right before God. And, and some of us are familiar with these. Some of them have been popularized in the media. Uh, you know, Obama famously quoted uh, Leviticus and talking about how, well, if we follow everything in the Bible, then we can't eat shellfish. And he used it as a way of dismissing the whole of Scripture because he was using Levitical law as a way of saying, well, we can't really take the Bible seriously. But here's the beauty, if you know anything about the Word of God, is that when Jesus Christ came into the world and died for our sins and rose again, that we no longer needed the law. And that's what we're going to talk about. We no longer needed to obey every, every single tiny and minute detail that was given to the Jewish people in order to be right with God. Right? We covered this when we talked about the circumcision, right? If we go back a few chapters, remember Paul talks about how we as Christians who've been set free from the law don't need to be circumcised in order to be right with God. You guys remember that? And so here we are again talking about the law, and he's painting this picture for us. And he's painting a picture of our first marriage, our marriage to the law, which according to the law, uh, we were bound to for as long as our husband, the law, was alive. We were bound to it. See, the, the law of marriage is binding until the death of one of the parties. So in this illustration, as long as one is married to the law, they are bound to obey it. Does that make sense? So as long, listen to me, this is, what I, this is a point I want to make. I want to be very clear. So as long as we decide to be in bondage to law and to religion, we will be in bondage to law and religion. You understand? As long as we decide that we want, that our um, favor with God is dependent on what we do, then you're going to be continuing to work and stuck in this cycle of trying to earn God's favor. And you will never understand or taste the empowerment of knowing Jesus Christ and living in liberty that you might do and be everything that God wants you to do and be. So this first husband... uh, This first marriage was not a preferable one for mankind, was it? This was not the preferable marriage. This was not a preferable relationship. It was dysfunctional. Each time, the Old Testament Jew failed. Okay? Each time time the wife failed her relationship with her husband, she found nothing but guilt there. Any of you familiar with guilt? Right? We talk about guilt. Guilt in our lives arises when we fail to meet the false expectations that we put in place for ourselves. The same thing can happen if we're a religious person and we fail to abide in the religious mandates that we've put in our lives. 
See, the first marriage works that way. Each time we failed our old husband, he was quick to expose to us that we were not sufficient. And there was no route to forgiveness. There was no, access, there was no direct access to forgiveness. It was always just a band-aid to appease the law. So here's key point number one. The law made us familiar with our in, insufficiency, but could not forgive us of it. Right? The laws and the rules, and those of us who maybe grew up religious recognize this. Maybe you grew up in a church where um, if you did things, then you knew you'd have favor with God. If you, if you went to a particular type of church, or you got baptized as a child, or maybe you went through some sort of program, or you did certain things to earn favor with God, and the church maybe um, taught you that that was how you had access to God. And that's how you find blessing. But what Jesus Christ did was what he, what he said was that we no longer need to make merit uh, in, in and of our own works by doing things or earning his favor that we find favor in him simply by yielding to Jesus Christ. So the law made us familiar with our insufficiency and we'll read about that more. But it could not forgive us of our insufficiency. Our marriage to the law was, it functioned simply to point a finger at how we continually failed to obey God. Right? We can see that in the testimony of the Israelites, right? As we read about the Exodus, they were given the laws of God, the Ten Commandments of Moses, and yet they continued to fail in those things, and it only resulted in pain and suffering, and it created a cycle for them that we can see repeated throughout the whole of the Old Testament. They would fail the law, and then they would find themselves uh, weak and broken and nowhere to turn. And the cycle just continued over and over again throughout the Old Testament, right? See, the law only functions to point a finger at how we fail God and how we don't match up. But what Paul is doing for us is he's describing how the law did not have the power to free us from our sin. But Christ, our second husband, killed the law that we might find life. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. He's redeemed us out of the law. He was sufficient. His death and resurrection was sufficient to set us free from the bondage of doing things. The imprisonment of religion. What he wants is a relationship. He redeemed us out of religion that we might find a relationship with him. And I don't ever grow tired of making that statement. That what I have is not a religion as much as it is intimacy with the Son of God, the one who died on the cross for me and rose again, who calls my name, he calls me friend. That's what I have in him. And I'm not bound to the law anymore. Just as I am not... Um, told that I have to wear blue thread in the tassels of my garments. Right? That's what the, the Jews in their garments had to have blue thread. You couldn't do certain things on the Sabbath. You even hear, you even see in the Gospels Jesus Christ being chastised by the Pharisees by the all ways that he didn't do the things that they expected for him to do in the law. You know what? Jesus Christ recognized that it was bondage. Our second husband destroyed the law, that we might be free. 
Verse 2 says, But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. When our husband, the law died, we were no longer bound by its codes. We were no longer bound to perform uh, in order to receive blessing. The first husband suspended us in a cycle of guilt, but gave us no tools to overcome in power. See, our marriage to Christ is all the things that the first marriage wasn't. Our relationship with Jesus Christ set us free. We are no longer bound by duty to God, but freedom to obey Him. He has empowered us with the Holy Spirit and a complete word that we can trust so we can know Him and fellowship with Him. So here's our key point number two. The law made us familiar with our purpose. The Jews knew their purpose, right? They knew that they were called to be a peculiar people and and, and called to be a blessing to the world to point the way to God. They were familiar with their purpose. But here's the difference. They could not see, uh, they were not set free to live in that purpose because they were bound by the law. They weren't liberated the way that Jesus Christ has liberated us. See, he gave us purpose But he also gives us the power to live in that purpose. He gives us the power through his word. He gives us the power through his Holy Spirit. That obedience is just our identity. I mean, some of us know in this room, uh, maybe you were saved at one point and you spent a season away from the Lord. You spent a time in your life apart from God, out of the fellowship of his word. Could you quench the Holy Spirit inside you? Or was the Holy Spirit constantly calling out to you what your true identity was? I mean, I know that's part of Uriah's testimony. I'm just thinking about, could you ever shake that? You can't shake it. Because you've been called out. It's a supernatural truth. You've been set free. And that's something that the Old Testament Jew could not experience. You know what? It's the the person that is stuck in religious performance, doesn't doesn't recognize the freedom that they could have if they just simply yielded to Jesus Christ. They don't know it. The laws of the Old Testament were given to us as a placeholder until the coming of Christ, who was intended to truly set us free from our transgressions. But yet we... So maybe the more relevant thing in here, because I'm not talking to a room full of Pharisees or Jews, I'm not not looking at a room full of people that look like the Roman church at this time. Okay? A bunch of of young believers who grew up in the Jewish tradition. And so when we talk about the law, you probably aren't that tempted to obey the Sabbath according to the Talmud. You're probably not, like, reading through the Talmud in the evenings and figuring out how you can avoid, like, you know, walking too far on the Sabbath day or what you should and should not eat. You're not obsessed with those things, are you? You know what you are obsessed with? You're obsessed with making and inventing ways in your mind to earn favor with God. What we get obsessed with is this idea that there's no way that we could just be accepted in Jesus Christ. There's no way that I could just have direct access to God. There's no way that there isn't just a list of things that I have to do. There's no, there's no way that God just loves me unconditionally. And so what we do is, we, in our minds, we create moral code. We create ambitions. We create desires. And whether Christian or not, what we do is we say, those are the things that make me good. Those are the things that make me right. 
If I can just finish college and I can just achieve this particular goal, that's going to make me right and everything's going to be good. If I can just obey in this way, if I can just be this type of person, if I could just uh, shake this particular sin, God will love me. This thing that's been bothering me for a long time. I mean, if some of you know what that is, you've got a sin that's a pet sin that keeps creeping up. And every time that it happens, it throws you into a cycle and you've convinced yourself in your mind. If you could just shake that one sin issue in your life, that everything will be right between you and God. And you've forgotten that the gospel literally makes it so that when God the Father looks upon you, all he sees is his son Jesus Christ, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your failures, regardless of your shortcomings. We have been set free from religion. We have been set free from our own personal desires and ambitions so that we might live in the liberty of Jesus Christ. So the question is, where do you find your identity? Where do you find your worth? Many of us find our worth in morality. Many of us find our worth in achieving personal ambitions. These personal laws are what we often yield to and we serve them. And yet, they leave us empty and get us no closer to righteousness. I'm going to take this off because it's making sounds. Sorry, guys. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? We get no closer to righteousness by serving the law. Galatians chapter 3 verses 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, if you don't know your Bible very well, that can sound real confusing. But what that says is, what was the law given for? It was given to show the Israelites that they were sinners. It was to show them that they had already transgressed. It was, to, it was intended to give them lines to walk within. It was added because of transgressions until, what? The seed came. The seed of Jesus Christ. Until that, pro- that prophecy was fulfilled in the Messiah and the coming of Jesus Christ into this world. Until that day, we were bound to the law. And the truth is, Gentiles, unsaved Gentiles also, bound to the law. That was the only way to get to God. But here's the deal. What, what Paul is calling us to, what God is calling us to, is recognizing that the only thing that will set us free is letting go of religion and good intentions and marrying the right man. So back to our illustration, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the, by the body of Christ. Check this out. That ye should be married to another. Even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Paul describes here how the law dies. Our first husband died. And it does not control us or dictate to us anymore. But we are remarried to a new husband, the second husband, who has a vision and a purpose for us. Just like the first one. The first husband had expectations too. The first husband had a purpose too. But this second husband, this second husband makes it so that we can live in that purpose. That we can be set free 
The difference now is that our new husband has power over life and death. What does it say? That you should be married to another, even to him who is raised. It's, it's important to understand that the, this husband that we are now married to, as Christians, the one that we, we came to know, has power over death. That's an important point that Paul leaves in here. Why? Why? Why is that so important? Because this, this husband gives us eternal life so that we would not fear anything. We've been completely set free. And this husband has the authority over life and death. That we need not be afraid. That we need not be concerned whether or not we could lose uh, 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 our, our eternity somehow. See, that, that, that idea, listen to me, that idea that you are secure in Jesus Christ until the day that you die should make it so that every single day you live it with purpose and freedom without any fear. If you forget that truth, if you forget that's who your husband is, then you will cower, won't you? In time, you will cower and you'll find yourself afraid of the world and what man can do to you. You'll be afraid of suffering. You'll be afraid of tribulation. You'll be afraid to speak out. You'll be afraid to be bold. But our husband has power over life and death, and he has the authority to forgive. And he's empowered us uh, that we would bring forth fruit. And that's super important here, right? That we should bring forth fruit unto God. John 15, 16 says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Do you see what Jesus Christ was doing when he said that to his disciples? He was empowering them. Look, look, I've called you to go bear fruit. I've called you to go into the world and make something of yourselves and to tell people of the, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that they too can be set free. I've given you that purpose. And guess what? Whatever you ask of me, and when you come to me, I've got you. That's the power and the authority that he's given these men. Key point number three. Christ ordained us to bear fruit. Meaning, okay, bearing fruit, again, spiritual sounding, right? Bearing fruit sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? Okay. What does that mean? What's it mean to bear fruit? Well, it means to yield righteousness. And it means to deliver other people from wickedness. It means to show other people that they, have, they too can have access to God. But what does it mean? It means this. If we're ordained to bear fruit through the cross, then it means we need only live in the reality of our relationship that we might be used. In other words, if we recognize that our husband, our second husband, is Jesus Christ, and we belong to him and he belongs to us, then the reality of that relationship itself should drive us to, to see that our true identity is just bearing fruit. <clears throat> that if we just live in the reality of that relationship, if we just choose to follow Jesus Christ, if we just too, choose to live in the boldness of knowing Him. I don't know if you guys are familiar or if you ever looked at the dynamics of marriage relationships. I mean, maybe you've looked at your, I mean, sure you've watched your parents' marriage relationships. Right? Or maybe you've watched outside people that you know. Have you, ever guys, have you guys ever seen what it looks like for a wife to have an overbearing husband? Have you guys ever seen that before? Where everything that she does, she's got to run it through him, and, and there's, there's no freedom. Uh, she, she's kind of oppressed, and everything that she does is, is um, 
is somehow under the authority of, of her husband, right? And but then you've seen marriage relationships that are built on love, haven't you? Where the where the couple takes pride in one another, right? They go out together, and you see them, and they have joy, and the countenance looks like freedom. And she submits to him, and he submits to her. And there's love, a mutual love one for another. That wife is liberated, and she's accepted. She's not put down. She's not under bondage. She's not not oppressed in any way. And that is who we're married to. And if we recognize that that's who we're married to, then we've got joy. And we can live unafraid. And we can go out and do things and be liberated and we can speak out. And you know what? We can speak about our husband and, we, and we, have, we find pleasure in talking about our husband. And we brag on him everywhere that we go. Because he loves us and we love him. And he set us free. And God desires for us to bear spiritual fruit. And he hasn't just told us that. He's made it so. You know, a marriage relationship from the very beginning, if we read Genesis is intended to do what? Bear fruit. The marriage relationship from the very beginning is intended for reproduction. Right? That's how it works. Right? I don't have to get into the details of that. For us to recognize that's how it works, right? God has made it so that our relationship with Him, our connection to Him, and His pouring into us, and our pouring into Him, and us giving of one another to each other, should result in the bearing of fruit. It's just our identity. It's just who we are. God desires for you to bear fruit where the first husband could only produce vanity and death in you. Verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, the the word motions here means the difficulty, the undergoing, the effect of sin, which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. The old husband could only produce in us through that bondage, that relationship, could only produce in us vanity and ultimately destruction and death because there was no way we could ever break the cycle of sin. When we were bound to the law, we couldn't break that cycle. This is what Matthew Henry says. You can pull that quote up for me. When we were in the flesh, that is, in a carnal state, under the reigning power of sin and corruption in the flesh, as in our element, then the motions of sins, uh, sins which were by the law did work in our members. We were carried, carried down the stream of sin. And the law, check this out, this is a beautiful picture, and the law was but a dam which made the stream to swell the higher and rage the more. Our desire was towards sin as that of the wife towards her husband and sin, sin ruled over us. We embraced it, we loved it, we devoted all to it, conversed daily with it, made it our care to please it. We were under a law of sin and death as the wife under the law of marriage and the product of this marriage was fruit brought forth unto death. That is, actual transgressions were produced by the original corruption, such as, such as deserved death. So imagine this. Your old man is caught away in the motion of sin. Right? You lay in a riverbed after a rain, and it's going to carry you somewhere. And the law just functioned as a dam that we might not die, that we might not go off the cliff, that we might have a containing pool. But over time... That sin came up against us, just like the threshold of Nineveh, the sin in Nineveh. There was a threshold which could not bear it anymore. Enters the new husband. The dam is destroyed. The river is made new. It's redeemed. 
And now we have the ability and the liberty to simply let the river of Jesus Christ carry us where it will. And the Holy Spirit dictate to us that we are no longer to be concerned with death. We are no longer to be concerned with the old man. That he is going to carry us and he's going to take us and we'll always be safe and we'll always be right. And the end of that way is righteousness. That's who we've been made to be. See, even in our best intentions, we do not know how to serve God. Even if it pleased us to obey God, we would only just ever fail at it. The only thing that God is pleased with is his son. And so when he sees you, when he sees Kendall, when he sees Luke, he sees man kid, he's not pleased with you. He's pleased with Jesus Christ in you. That's who he's pleased with. That's what he's pleased with. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. Let's turn there real quick. Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians 3, Paul tells us about his marriage to the law. And from the outside, Paul's marriage to the law was beautiful, wasn't it? Right? When he talks about himself uh, and, the, and the person that he was, we, what we know about Paul is that he was trained under Gamaliel, who was a very prestigious and important Pharisee, part of the religious order. He was brought up in authority. Paul ruled over people. Okay? And, 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 he, and he was uh, a man of the law. He was a man of the Old Testament. He obeyed it in every way. And he was the envy of other religious people, in fact. But look at, look at what he says about himself. Verse 4. He's talking about his first marriage. Verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh. In other words, he's saying, look, if, if people want to brag in the flesh, well, I mean, I can do that. I can, I can brag about myself. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the, uh, the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I was a blameless man under the law. But here's the deal. But like many marriages, perception was not the truth. In the quiet of his home, the law could not satisfy or deliver him from the need to perform. So much so that he found himself, and you can read about this in Acts, going out, finding Christians, hunting them down, and killing them. Because the truth was the law never brought him true satisfaction. And so he functioned to perform. It was in his head and it was in his hand. But the truth of the law was never in his heart. The day Paul discovered the law had died was the day that he was set free to find his true love, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7, his second marriage. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Forget my first husband. Forget who I was under the law. Forget my person of sin. All I can think about now is living in the power of the resurrection, 
to my new husband who's liberated me and set me free so much so that I don't care what happens to me. I'm in love. I'm in love. He delivered me from bondage so that I could be set free. And it's all I want to do and it's all I want to be is yielded to his name. I want to bear fruit for him. I want to live in his calling. And so I don't even think about my old righteousness. I don't even think about how I knew the law so well or or how how mighty and and zealous and, and powerful I was. My old man means nothing to me. I, I, I abase myself, I humble myself at the feet of Jesus Christ and it brings so much more joy. What Paul discovered is what many of us discover. There was a moment that someone told us the truth. There was someone, someone came and told us that, we, that the law, our first husband, was dead. And that there was no need to be bound by the unattainable expectations that we put on ourselves. What expectations have you put over your life that you can't live up to? that have imprisoned you, that have kept you from the liberty of your second husband? What what has imprisoned you in a way that keeps you from recognizing your true identity? See, we were told that Jesus Christ had made a way to find God's love and forgiveness outside of our personal merit. And when we met Jesus, we became God's children. And we began serving him in the newness of life not in the oldness of the letter. Verse 6, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now this is not, this is not a degradation of truth. This is a recognition that truth is dead absent the Spirit. Truth has no function and has no ability and no power if you just simply hold it in your hand. You can't wield the truth until you're made alive in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 2 verse 9 says, For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ live in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are made new by Jesus Christ, not that we would be a servant of bondage, but a servant of freedom for the gospel's sake. He's called us to bear fruit, and it will only happen if we live in the deliverance of who he is. If we accept it daily, if we pursue his face. Let's look at verse 7. Let's switch gears for a second here. Verse 7, another hypothetical question. Paul paints another question here that he thinks that the Jews might ask him. And so he tries to address it. He tries to expect it. And so he addresses it here. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Right? The question would be like, okay, well then, is the law or the commands, or the, the Old Testament commandments, are those things, is that sin to obey the law? Is that what you're saying? Is the truth law of the law, is it wicked? And he says, God forbid. See, listen, the law, the truth cannot be sin. See, the law itself is a reflection of God's heart. The law is holy and just and good, just like the lawgiver is holy and just and good. So for the law to be wicked is to say that God, the lawgiver, is wicked. We love you, praise Dean. 
Thanks for ministering. No, it's good. It's, because, it's good because Jesus Christ made it. And it's good because God created it to expose our need. See, the law came. that We might recognize our sin. Verse 7 says, Nay, I had not known sin but the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. See what he's saying here? He's like, I wouldn't have known that I was a wicked man, except for the fact that the law and the truth exposed it. It told me that that's who I was, that I was in bondage. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. When I was an old man, when I was that guy, that religious man, I was alive without the law once. Right? It was a perception of being alive. It was a perception of being spiritual. But when the commandment came, when the real commandment came, when the truth of the gospel came, sin revived and I died. Paul tells us here that once upon a time he thought himself spiritual. He thought himself alive. He had the law in his hands and in his head. But he did not have the heart to obey it. But when the law spoke to his heart, his sin was revealed. And he had no choice but to die to it. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the reality of his word did the work of destroying us that we might live. It tore us down. Do you remember the first time you recognized that you were a sinner? The first time you recognized that you were weak? The first time you recognized that you had disobeyed God and there was no other hope outside of him? That's what the law did for us. It revealed those things to us. Verse 10, And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. See, the commandments and the law are what showed us our need for deliverance. It exposed the absolute wickedness of what was, was within us. Now listen carefully. I'm losing you. Listen to me. The law called us out of dark places to show us that there was a light that existed. In the darkness of our sin, the law called out. It didn't bring us light, but it called the name of the Messiah. And it said that a hope existed. And it pointed to a light that we might go and pursue that light. And find ourselves in Jesus Christ. That's what the law did. Galatians chapter 3 verse 23 says. But before faith came. We were kept under the law. Shut up unto faith. Which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. To bring us unto Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come. We are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all children of God. By faith in Christ Jesus. Don't you know it's better. To be a child than a people. You know, it's better to have a father than a teacher. It's, it's better to have unconditional love than a series of rules and expectations. When a student comes into my classroom, at least in the West High School, there's rules and expectations. Right? They have to sit down. They have to find their seat. They have to get out the right supplies. They have to obey what I say. But you know what my heart is? I know that the way to their heart is to give them the truth of Jesus Christ is to become their father. 
Because it's so much better to have a father than to have a teacher. The law was a schoolmaster. It pointed us to Jesus Christ that we might find a father. That's what it did for us. The law does exactly what it's called to do. Show us our need for Jesus Christ. And the reality of his word did the work of destroying our flesh that we might find Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, listen carefully to me. There's some of us in here that are still a, a slave to our religious notions. That we, that we somehow find favor or purpose in following a list of rules and expectations. Maybe some of those are ones that people have set for us. And sometimes those rules are, and expectations are things that we've dictated to ourselves. And what we think to ourselves is that, that that's the way to righteousness, is just to simply, just to simply be good. But what, what the Bible teaches us is that those rules just beget rules. And those rules beget cycles of sin. And that there's only one way of escaping that, and that's to put the, yourself underneath the power and the authority of our second husband, Jesus Christ, that he may forgive us of our sin. He might make us right. Give us eternal life and victory. That we not, need not fear what tomorrow might bring. And some of us in this room have never been set free from the slavery of our sin. And if that's you, if you recognize that you don't know Jesus Christ, that you haven't made him your husband, that you've been stuck in sin, and you haven't been able to find your way out, today is the day that you can give your life to Jesus Christ. You can come and talk to me after service. You can come and talk to, to, with someone that brought you today, and you can sit down up here and just talk through that. But today is a day to get away from the schoolmaster. Today is the day to get away from our sin and find ourselves in the person of Jesus Christ. Now for others of us, my question to you is this. Does the word, Christians, does the word do the work that it's supposed to in your life? So for Paul, he says that the law exposed him to the truth of who he really was. And of course, when you got saved, that happened for you. But the question is, does that continually happen for you daily? The law exposed Paul and led him to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel. Christian, now that we are dead to sin and alive to God, he still has a word for you, doesn't he? This is it right here. This is it. We just read it. This is Christ's mind. This is who he is. I can't see Jesus. I don't know his physical face. I don't get to sit down with him the way the disciples did. This is what he's given me. He's placed his spirit inside of me. Now my question to you is this. Does the Bible, God's word to you, does the truth do the work of cutting you, exposing you, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of, of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And this is what I mean. Some of you recognize that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you pursue Him. 
But some of us, when we read the Bible, it's not doing that work anymore. Have you ever had those days where you open the Bible and you read it and you know that it hasn't done what it's supposed to do? Right? Have you ever had those days? In time, you eventually neglect the Word completely. And you stop beholding its face. You stop looking into it. You stop peering at it. You know, what, what 2 Corinthians is saying here is that when I look into the Bible, what it does is it functions as a looking glass or a mirror. When I look into it, it shows me every blemish. I'm 34. I look in the mirror less and less as the years pass by. I'm coming to know what to expect, right? The wrinkles come. The gray hairs come, right? The occasional pimple shows up less than used to, Okay? I know what I am when I look in the mirror. The Word of God is supposed to do this work where when we look at it, it exposes us for who we really are. And not only that, it corrects us so that we might be able to fix the things that are wrong. But yet some of us, we fall out of love with it because we don't think it's working or we don't know how to handle it or we don't believe that it's actually Jesus' face. Here's the deal. The, the, the funny thing about reading the Bible and, 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 and walking away from it and saying, why didn't you get much out of that? Is that your fault or God's? It's, it's your fault. It's not God's fault. It's an issue with your heart. You know, a, a, long, a, a long time ago, I heard um, uh, Doug Pearson say, how long should I pray? What's he say? Have you guys heard him say that? You pray until it burns, right? You pray... You, you make your, your, your lifestyle of prayer about praying until you know you're in the presence of God and you believe in faith that you're in His presence and, you, and, and when you pray, you know He's hearing you and it burns inside. How, how do you know when to stop reading the Word? You read until it freaking burns you. Until it catches you up. Until you, you know, have you, when I get out of the shower and it's all steamy and I look at the mirror, I can't see myself. And I might wipe the mirror and the steam comes back so quickly. I like hot showers. The steam comes back so quickly I can't see my face. So I open the windows up and I get the room right so that I can see what it is that I'm supposed to see. And some of us, when we look, it may be foggy and we look into God's word. And you know what? We relent and we're like, I can't see myself today. So I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to go be who I'm supposed to be. And we've forgotten that we need to read the word until we see God's face. Because you know what? Jesus is our husband. And we ought to know him. That we might bear fruit. This is who we are. So Christian, I want to challenge you today. You know, the word of God, the law, cut Paul and it slew him. Have you lost your first love? Does the word still slay you? Or do you have seasons where you feel distant? Intimacy is found here. You know, um, a relationship with Jesus Christ is interesting because uh, sometimes it feels really intimate. And just like, oh man, I'm so in love. You know what? 90% of a relationship with my wife is just obeying her, serving her. And I find, find peace in, in, in living with her and taking care of her and being one with her. And sometimes 
we get times of intimacy where we get to go out on dates. Carla, I'm going to take you up on that wherever you're at. She's already gone. She offered for a date night. Right? Sometimes I get dates with my wife, but sometimes I get to just do the dishes with her. You know, the truth of a relationship with Jesus Christ is you see his face, and sometimes it's okay that you don't feel all mushy-gushy when you're done, but you just simply look at it and you're like, I can obey that. I can do that. I can do that. You know why? Because I love him and he loves me. And that's who we need to be. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to me. Do not lose the power of God's word because of your flesh. That's not who you are. He is your husband. You are his bride. Let's be that. If you have something you need to deal with today, let's do that. We don't have anybody to sing for us. Do you? Hey, go for it. Eric's going to do a little, little something, something. But I'm going to pray. And listen to me. If you've got something you need to deal with, do not leave today unless you take care of that. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. God, I love you. Um, I'm so thankful that you won me. You wooed me. You drew me out of the world. Lord, you've, you've called me important. You've called me friend. You've called me uh, child. You've called me your child. And God, I'm so grateful for the fact that you've made me to be set free. And Lord, if this ministry, if Kaya, this college and young adults ministry, doesn't recognize that they're free to serve you, that if they think that, that attaining in this ministry or attaining leadership or, 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 or achieving goals has something to do with their relationship with you, then we are completely suspended. And we will not get anything done in Kansas City for your namesake. God, set us free from religion. Set us free from our false expectations. And God, liberate us that we might go into this world and declare your name with joy and love and excitement because we know who you are. You're a good father. And you're a good husband to us. And we love you and we thank you for it. In your son's name, amen. If you need to deal with something, let's do it.